Hello, listeners, and welcome to A Dash of Salt with AJ. I'm your host, Ahsoka Jackson, author, podcaster, poet, and proofreader. In the last episode, I ended by talking about the dichotomy that exists between the warriors and warrior candidates versus the majority of the Marlene military as a whole. When I consider it, it sort of reminds me of the Survey Corps slash Scout Regiment slash Reconnaissance Regiment versus the military police when you look at the old situation within the walls. The Survey Corps is a pretty straightforward way of picking out the best of the bunch. You screw up, you get in. And even if you don't screw up, you might still get in. But definitely don't screw up. Meanwhile, folks from the military police are screwing around and literally playing cards when they're supposed to be on the job for important stuff. And there's that whole difference in mindset and motivation as well. Though some are sincere, folks in the military police mainly chose that because they wanted an easy, sheltered life. And for the most part, they get this. So the main place they need to exert effort is just during the initial training so that they can qualify to join the police. But the folks in the Survey Corps have something powerful that's driving them to the point they're choosing an incredibly dangerous career path. And then they still have to stay in razor-sharp condition once they do join if they want to have any hope of keeping their position and not ending up inside someone's stomach. Likewise, the Marlene warriors are trying to protect their families, get medical care for them, and other stuff. And they also know that if they mess up, Marley is perfectly willing to replace them. So there's continuous pressure on them to not only become the best, but also stay the best. So they're arguably where you want to go if you want to find some of the best and brightest and most motivated folks within the Marlene military. But then you've got the top brass not even appreciating all of that. And there's Malgoth in the background, observing the tomfoolery. And turning to that second conversation with Malgoth and Willie Tiber, one huge thing I hadn't realized was the question of rank. I'm used to thinking of Malgoth as a general, and I think that's largely how I've seen other folks refer to him as well. What I hadn't picked up on was that Malgoth had only been the commander of the warrior unit. But remember, in the first conversation, Willie was asking him to join hands with him as an ally, right? And we've talked about Magath's reaction to seeing the inadequacy and irresponsibility of current military leadership and policy in Marley. According to the insights of other viewers here, Magath doesn't really gain his position as an overall general or leader until this second conversation. In it, what he's basically saying in coded language is that the structure is run and corrupt and on the verge of collapse. And what Tiber basically comments is that this essentially provides a vacuum or space for someone like Magath to step in and take the reins. So even as Tiber plans to step out into the light and apparently reveal just how much power and influence his own Eldian family has been wielding all of this time, really it sounds to me like he intends to maybe take open control of the government after all of these years in secrecy. A bit like Chancellor Palpatine, maybe. But anyways, it sounds like there's also going to be a parallel takeover or power shift in the military side of things. It also seemed to me like he's implying, despite the deference Magath expresses, that's really Magath who has the power and loyalty of folks within the military, and he could theoretically rebel against the Tibers if he wanted. But Magath is at least outwardly saying that he doesn't really intend to do so and that he'll accept Willie's leadership here. Heck, it's noteworthy that Magath had already figured out uh, that the Tibers were in control, when apparently he wasn't supposed to know that. And what a crazy revelation that whole thing would be for both sides. Despite the hatred Marley as a whole has for the Eldian people, there are Eldians who secretly control Marley, but have basically been gracious enough to let Marley proceed as it will. 
And then from an Eldian perspective, you find, you find out that some Eldians actually have had power this whole time, but have decided to let the majority of your people within Marley suffer while they personally live in luxury and hobnob with the elites. I seriously got a question if either side is going to be happy here. And it was interesting to see how Willie is. He's... I was actually surprised to see that he doesn't especially seem keen on the job like I would expect. Well, that's rather an understatement, as the guy was actually shaking in fear over it. So maybe he really does feel the pressure and significance of all of this. And maybe he also realizes the issue that I was talking about here. Despite how warmly the foreign dignitaries regard him, I still seriously question how warm and fuzzy the bulk of Marleans and Eldian Marleans will actually feel if Willie reveals what it sounds like he plans to reveal. And can I just say, as a quick note, we still have the whole thing of trashing the Eldians as a whole. Marley has used these devils to oppress other nations. Dude, really? As though he's not an Eldian himself. And then what about that supposedly friendly crowd of people, the dignitaries there, who apparently still despise the Eldians plenty themselves? Not all of them are like that, but some clearly are. That reminds me of what Udo mentioned, about how the hatred abroad for Eldians actually makes Marley look pretty good. That was just crazy to hear. Life as an Eldian just sounds more and more screwed with each new revelation. Like, what the actual heck? I guess it does make sense, because the other countries are now the, one <clears throat> are now the ones all being conquered by Marley, and the Eldians working at Marley's behest. Marley at least views Eldians as useful tools in the present day. From the perspective of countries on the receiving end of that, the Eldians are largely nothing but enemies, I guess. Understandable enough, even if it's still jacked. Maybe Willie is doing all of this, behaving this way, as a strategic thing, because he knows it'll be easier to win people over by playing along with that mess, rather than trying to argue with them about whether or not the Eldians are demons. But even if that's the deal, I'm, not, I'm still not fond of this whole thing. At all. This whole dynamic yet again just feels so jarring and twisted. Folks are right about how this segment of the season is meant to have that eerie, unsettling feel to it. And we know the clock is counting down to some crazy stuff right now. In any case, I did mention understanding some bits of this second conversation on my own, like with the rats and all. But the other stuff being said in the convo is essentially that the structure of the military, and probably Marley as a country, is deeply rotted from within. But it's not entirely a waste. There are still useful pillars. Basically, there are still some competent and effective people there, and those folks are the ones who've been able to determine that Marley is being infiltrated by certain forces at this point. I suppose those useful pillars are the ones who will be able to keep their jobs if Tiger and Maga start overhauling the military and perhaps the government as a whole. I'm realizing that, in a way, this is really like the whole storyline we had in the previous seasons with the coup and the revelations about Historia's family and their influence, and then her ultimate installment as the new ruler in Paradise. It seems like something similar is about to go down in Marley, though instead of a down-to-earth country girl and soldier, the new leader will be a guy living the lifestyle of the rich and famous, as they say. So they're definitely very opposite. Though it at least seems like Tiber knows what he's doing. Compared to other folks, anyways, whether his plan is actually going to be as good as he hopes and promises remains to be seen. And of course, there's Aaron there, and he's just revealed his presence to Reiner. He's finally broken cover. Although, whether or not that's an issue depends on whether or not Reiner makes it out of that room, right? Like the song says, two can keep a secret if one of them is dead.
Although technically it's at least three people since Falco is there too. Okay, two quick random notes here regarding pronunciation again. Grisha Yeager's first wife, Zeke's mother. I've been saying her name is Dina, but when I went back and looked at some stuff from season 3, the other characters actually say her name as Dinah, so I'll try to remember that. And something I noticed for season 4 is that even though I'm inclined to say it as Braun, and that's usually how I hear other folks say it, the characters in the show actually pronounce Reiner and Gabby's surname as Brown, so hopefully I can remember that going forward. It doesn't help any that Reiner is what you would call Brawny, and I always think of that when I read his name. Anyways, next episode, I think I can get in a final question or two I have regarding Magath and Tiber, a quick note regarding Colt and also the Grice family, and then we'll move on to discussion of Falco, Reiner, and Gabby, and what sort of dynamics might exist between that trio of characters and Aaron himself. In the meantime, if you're enjoying the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe and turn your notifications on so you get updates. Plus, you can help make the podcast more visible for new listeners by leaving a like, share, or view on whichever platform you use to listen. YouTube, Spotify, Radio Public, etc. Be blessed and stay salty.